This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. An imaginative group of teens in an Arizona town are bored and decide to go for an evening drive to find something interesting. Out in the desert scrub, they find way more than they bargained for. Welcome to Alone in the Woods. The show where I spin the tales of people's supposedly true stories of terrifying things they've encountered out under the branches of trees and where soil meets their feet. If you have a story of your own to share, send it to me at ericast.com forward slash outdoor where we pay you three cents per word. And stop by ericast.com if you want to hear more scary stories from our team. If you like what you hear, leave Alone in the Woods a rating and review on Spotify and Apple. Thank you. Now come over and get warm. I've just got this darn thing to light. We're about to begin. We Manifested an Alien by Andres Diaz this story begins in my small hometown, surrounded by bigger cities in the northeastern part of Arizona. Called St. John's, it's a quaint, rural place in the middle of windy dirt plains with mostly dry vegetation dotting the land. Most people live in the center of town, with a few farmlands spreading out as you hit the borders of the town. When I mean rural, I mean rural. You could cross this whole town in less than 10 minutes, and the only stores we got that most people would know are a Subway and a Dollar General. The nearest Walmart was 45 minutes away in the city of Sholo, and if we want a McDonald's, well, the closest one was about a 35 minute drive heading the opposite direction. As you can see, we didn't have much. Because we didn't have much, that also meant that we didn't have much to do. Especially when you're a teenager. In SJ, as we like to call our town, as teens with a driver's license, we didn't do much except drive around town back and forth, taking the same old streets. Sometimes stopping at the local park or the local Circle K, only to just get back in the car and drive around some more. With our short attention spans at that age, we'd get bored pretty quickly. So, of course, we'd want to find other things to do to just have some fun and keep our minds busy. Sometimes those things can be pretty reckless, and otherwise just plain stupid. I guess that's what you can say after what my friends and I did. It was around 2019 on a warm summer night. Clouds peppered the sky, passing over the twinkling stars here and there. It was around 8 or 9 at night, and my friends and I were driving around like we usually did. As for my friends, I'll be calling them K, A, and B. Only this time, we were messing around with an app called Randonautica. If you haven't heard of this app, let me explain. Basically, the app is big on exploring, emphasizing on the experience of finding and seeing new things in ways you've never realized. To do this, you must set your intention, as the app says, 
So whatever you're feeling and thinking, you're basically manifesting it into the physical world. For example, let's say you set your intention to water. You then press the option you want to encounter, whether it be an anomaly or a blind spot. After choosing, you focus intently on water, imagining and feeling that word as the app generates a set of coordinates. You can then copy and paste those coordinates into a Maps app on your phone and head over to wherever the app wants you to go. Once you arrive, you must be hyper aware of the area looking for any sign of water, in which that could manifest itself into actual water like a river or a house watering its lawn, or it could even just be the exact word water, written out somewhere or a billboard sign that has a lake picture on it. The gist of it is, whatever you're manifesting, it can show itself symbolically in ways that are figurative or literal. Unfortunately for my friends and I, it decided to show itself in a literal way. After using the app for a while, now in a few successful attempts, my friends and I were excited to see what else we could bring to life. We were parked outside of our local post office under a lamppost shining over the car. We sat, trying to think what we should manifest next, and that's when we thought we should do something scary. Personally, I was not a big fan of that idea, especially since I've seen on TikTok of many horrendous videos of people manifesting terrible ideas that led them to some pretty horrendous and traumatic experiences. If you've seen the videos, you know exactly what I mean. However, me being also morbidly curious about those terrible ideas, and some sides of me wanting to actually see it, wanted desperately to try it. So we settled on something that the app might have a hard time manifesting, and yet was not too extreme of an idea. So we chose aliens. Sitting behind the wheel, I turned to my friends and told them the usual. Alright, remember guys, we have to really focus on the word and the feelings of it. Like, really, really focus on it. Let y'all know when we have the coordinates. Turning off the music, I picked an option and told my friends. Ready, set, go! I closed my eyes and started putting out our intentions. I focused furiously on the word, thinking my head, alien, extraterrestrial, otherworldly being. Any synonyms I could think of. I recalled my experiences from seeing UFOs to unexplained lights in the sky. From movies to books about these beings, I just concentrated more and more to even the smallest thing. Once a few minutes had passed, I looked down to my phone and saw that we had our coordinates. After the constant blaring noise of thinking in my head, I was met with a piercing silence ringing in my ears. I looked at my friends and they looked at me. By the look on their faces, I could tell that this time around, that they really put effort into this. Alright guys, I got the coordinates. Let's go. I said, rather a bit excited. We embarked on our small journey, exiting the parking lot of the post office. We travelled on the main street that cuts right through the middle of town, letting the line of lampposts illuminate our way. As we passed the local Circle K, we realized that the coordinates were taking us out of town, maybe like five-ish minutes. Crossing over a very small bridge that goes over a dry riverbed, 
we were, quite suddenly, engulfed in darkness. The only lights we could see were the headlights of the car, and the lamppost in the rearview mirror that quickly became smudged and swallowed by the trees that border our town. Immediately after hitting the highway, my map sap was telling me to go down a narrow dirt road that split off the main one. Where this road leads to is what my friends and I like to call out east. We call it that because it's literally out east, I guess. We have a bunch of weird nicknames for places in town. Anyways, the car traveled not too far off the way. We could quite literally walk to the highway in a minute or two. Mind you, this whole time, I had my window down, enjoying the night summer breeze, looking at the star-covered sky where I could, and just, overall, enjoying the moment. It seems like my friends were feeling pretty comfortable, too, even though we were literally trying to manifest aliens. As we reached our coordinates, that comfortable feeling of enjoyment was soon about to change. Upon arriving at our location, I parked the car almost in the middle of the dirt road because I quite literally couldn't pull off to the side. If I did, the car would veer off into a ditch, and if that happened, we would not have a chance of getting out soon enough. As I parked the car and turned it off, my friend, Kay, who sat in the passenger seat, rolled down his window, as did my friend B, who sat right behind K. A was sitting behind me as we all looked out to our right into the fields. The coordinates suddenly led further into the fields, towards a building in the distance that was not too far off. But there was no way we could make it there since the road to the building had a gate. I wasn't really feeling like I wanted to trespass on someone's property, and luckily my friends didn't feel like it either. So we all decided to just file out of the car and stand at the edge of the road. Looking into the distance, I could see the building and its single lit lamppost that shined a warm shade of yellow over the front of the building. The building wasn't too far off that I could make out details. It appeared to be a dark grey in colour, and looked like a warehouse from what I could remember, with its elongated shape and tin metal roof. There were boxes that seemed to be wooden crates scattered around in front of the building and below the lamppost. After a while of just standing there and trying to find any sign of an alien, whether it be a picture, a painting, or just something, my attention suddenly focused on the bulb of the lamppost. There was a bat flying underneath it, probably feasting on the nighttime bugs attracted by the light. As I was entranced by the nocturnal creature, I suddenly heard my friend Kay say slowly in a serious voice, What. The. Hell. Is. That. I looked towards him as he stood next to me and followed his gaze to the ground on the lamppost. The next thing I knew is that I see this... this... thing? God, I have no idea what it was, but it ran at full speed under the light. This creature, thing, alien, I don't know what the hell it was, but it wasn't anything I'd seen before. Just from the glimpse that I caught of it, the first thing I noticed was its grotesque bulbous head. It was round and huge, and looked veiny, connected to a thin neck. That thin neck then continued to reveal a skinny body. Its arms were unbelievably long, and where it had elbows, long bones protruded from them to a sharp point. It ran on all fours like a gorilla, with its hand to the floor, pulling its weight first. 
The whole thing's body was covered in wrinkled, pale grey skin. With fear coursing through my whole body, I noticed how freakishly tall it was. The lamppost could have been twenty-five feet high, and it looked like its head reached about halfway. I don't even want to imagine how it would have looked like at its full height on just two legs. It's true when animals have a fight-or-flight response, when they assume there is danger happening. Because I freaking flew. Like the creature running under the light, I skidded around the hood of my car at full speed, slipping on the loose rock under my feet. I threw open the door to the car and immediately turned it on, ready to peel out of there. As I looked to my friends, they neither flew nor fought, but it seemed like they were froze. I sat there in the driver's seat, adrenaline on overdrive as I screamed at my friends, Get in the frickin' car! Let's frickin' go! But they wouldn't get in. Out of fear and anxiety, I just kept desperately yelling at them to get in the car. As much as I wanted to race out of there, I was not going to leave them behind with that creature. Then, by some miracle, my friends suddenly scrambled into the car with Kay screaming, Go! Go! Once all the doors were closed, I immediately started to do a frantic three-point turn, because, of course, we were on a narrow dirt road where I couldn't flip a freaking U-turn unless I wanted to drive myself into a ditch and be stuck out there permanently with that thing. As soon as I was facing the direction of the highway, I floored it. Rocks flew under my tires and dust billowed out behind my car as I raced towards the highway. Fortunately, we hadn't travelled that far out of town, so we were back in the parking lot of the Circle K, just sitting in the car. Once we were a bit calmed down, I asked my friend Kay if he saw it. He said yes, and as for the reason he stayed out there was because he wanted to see it again. I know, he is freaking crazy. As for why B stayed out there, he simply said he didn't see what the rest of us saw and wanted to catch a glimpse of it. Yes. I know, he's crazy too. I don't quite remember why A decided to stay out there, whether it was because she froze from fear or because she wanted to see it again. Again, I know all my friends are crazy, and I am too, you'll see soon. She admits she saw what K and I saw, even though she doesn't want to believe it. I then remembered to ask K why they all of a sudden jumped into my car as if they were slapped out of their stupor and saw reason again. He told me that he saw it running again under the light, but this time it ran behind the building into the dark field, as if suddenly realizing that the creature could be running at them without even seeing it. He probably thought it best to be in the car than outside. K was the first to get in, and B and A followed suit. I know this might seem like the end of the story, and although I wish it was, it was only just the beginning because my idiotic friends and I clearly don't have a single rational bone in our bodies, we decided to go out there again. A few hours after the events of this chilling alien sighting, my friend and I picked up two of our other friends. We'll call them M and H. The time was creeping closer to midnight, and after telling our new arrivals of the events that unfolded, they seemed to believe our experience. Although they weren't as worked up as we were, since, of course, they didn't see it firsthand. I don't know if it's just us or our depraved mind, or since we're teenagers in a small, boring town, but we simply decided to use the app again to manifest it. Yes, I know you must be thinking that this story is complete crap, 
Who would, in their right mind after seeing what we saw, instead of crapping their pants and running home to bed curled into a burrito blanket, decide to go looking for that creature again? A creature that there is no record of, and having no idea what it could do. I'll tell you that my friends and I are a special breed of idiots. It sounds rude and mean, but it's true. Especially after all the other crap we did in that town. I'm surprised we're still alive. Anyways, like I said, we tried manifesting aliens again. We were in the car, but this time in the Circle K parking lot, where we did the whole process. We set our intentions, got our coordinates, and headed out. This time, it took us in the same direction as the first time, heading out of town, but instead of taking the dirt road like before, it continued to lead us on the highway. A bit further from town this time, maybe like 10 to 15 minutes, I pulled off the highway and parked on the side where the gravel was. Thankfully, there weren't any ditches to fall into, and the road was wide enough to do all the U-turns I wanted to. The coordinates again led to a good ways away into a dark field, but this time there was no building and no lamppost, just complete and utter darkness. It even seemed that the stars dimmed a little looking out into the void, like the darkness itself was wanting to hide whatever was in the fields. You're going to hate us. They might as well cast us into the next cheesy horror movie. Out of pure stupidity, K, B, M, as well as myself, with the keys in hand, got out of the car and ventured into the field. A and H decided to stay in the car. Clearly, they were the smart ones, but sadly, the unfortunate ones as well. The field we were walking into was rough and dusty, with dry shrubbery everywhere. After crawling in between the barbed wire fence that separated the field from the highway, my friends and I were swallowed into the darkness. With only our flashlights from our phones barely illuminating five feet in front of us, we continued our trek, stumbling across the unkempt ground, trying to keep our balance. Being the one with the maps, I could see where the coordinates ended, which was slightly halfway into the field. Mind you, the whole field was maybe one mile long or less. As we were closely approaching the destination, the coordinates suddenly moved further into the field. I thought, well, it might be a glitch on the maps, but I decided we should keep moving forward. Again, as soon as we came in range of the coordinates, they moved further into the field. Now they were almost near the dry riverbed, that we crossed earlier to get out of town. We were just way further up north of the river. If the coordinates kept moving forward past the river, we'd eventually end up back in town into the neighborhoods. At this point, I told my friends as we walked, Hey guys, the coordinates keep moving further ahead of us. This is like the second time it's happened. My friend M was next to me, walking with me, and he confirmed that the coordinates did in fact move. Then... Right when we were getting close to the final destination, again the coordinates moved. But they didn't move forward. They moved behind us. I was tired of walking at this point, as some of my other friends were too. We were getting confused and a little nervous, but we didn't happen to see anything. Like sheep, we kept following the coordinates as they kept jumping on the map from one place to another. Suddenly, A was calling B and I thought that maybe they were just checking up on us. 
but instead they asked B if K was walking around the car trying to scare them, since out of all of us, he's the one that is most likely to do something like that. However, it couldn't have been K walking around the car. B then told A and H that, no, he promised it's not us, we're in the field still. Even K spoke into the phone to confirm that he was with our group. Then a sudden cold realization dawned on all of us. If four of us were in the field at this moment, and our other two friends were in the car, then who the hell was walking around outside of it? A soon began to cry, and our group made a mad dash back to the car. B was reassuring A and H and telling them that we were running back to the car to make sure that the doors were locked and to not open them until they confirmed that they saw us. Already tired from the walk into the field, the run back was even worse, especially with the uneven ground. I'm surprised none of us tripped over and ate dirt. With our adrenaline pumping, we just kept going, knowing that our friends may be in terrible danger. Soon the barbed wire fence was in the view, as well as the highway. B was already crossing it as K got there trying to help him through by carefully pulling one of the strings up and the other one down. Me being the last to crawl through the barbed wire, I then held it for K to get through. As soon as he did, we raced towards the car. We actually came out a few feet in front of the car than when we actually entered, so we had to race down the highway to finally reach the vehicle. As soon as our two friends saw us, they rushed out of the car explaining everything in a rush. They were still freaked out, but more comfortable now that they saw us. Apparently, whatever was circling the car had left because when B had first arrived, he didn't see anything, and neither did our group in the field. Not wanting to be out there anymore, I just got in the car, and soon the others followed. We left as soon as possible, not wanting to stay out any longer than necessary. As we travelled back into town, H started explaining that after a while, when we left, that she started hearing crunching outside on the rocks, as if someone was walking around the car. They'd see a black silhouette moving around through the windows. However, since it was so dark and the car's windows were tinted, they couldn't confirm who or what it was, but they knew it was someone. Of course, being as we were, they thought we were trying to scare them, since we did do pranks like that to each other often. So they weren't freaking out right then. Soon the figure started pushing it from the back, rocking it back and forth, just like how Kay did often. So, of course, nothing to worry about, just Kay trying to scare us. However, the figure kept walking around the car, but this time was pulling on the door handles. They were trying to get in. Luckily, H had already locked them as soon as we left. While whatever was outside kept doing this, A then decided to call B to ask if it was us. Then that's when A started freaking out as soon as she heard B's reply and K's voice on the other end. After that terrifying experience, we stopped using the app. From what I remember, we just drove around town as we kept discussing the events, trying to make sense of it all late into the night. Soon I dropped everyone home and went home myself. Once home, I did get a bit of anxiety. I felt like that thing was stalking me just outside of my window, waiting for me to fall asleep so it can creep into my room and do God knows what. I have no idea what I saw that night, be it an alien, a monster, or something else entirely. I have even thought that maybe it could have been a skinwalker.
since my town is only about an hour from the reservation up north, but whatever it was, it terrified us. Although not enough, I guess, because I still had the guts to keep looking for it. I don't know if the figure walking outside could have been the creature that we saw earlier, or maybe it could have been a coincidence. I don't know. But after all of this, I still get chills just reciting this story. I remember the chilling dread that I felt filling my head when I saw that thing. Something so unexplainable and so unpredictable. I still remember the cold fear creeping up my spine and flowing through my whole body like a knife sliding on bone. A feeling that I'll never forget. P.S. I just wanted to say something real quick, and this has no benefit to me, but just something I feel that needs to be said. About the app Randonautica, it's an amazing app that has a lot of good qualities that get buried. When I saw it in TikTok, I just saw the fear side of it and the negative energies it could bring. But just like with anything, you will attract what you put out. So, in my naivety, I wanted to exploit the negative side of the app. And well, I got what I wanted like so many others did. However, if you use the app in a positive and helpful manner that supports your well-being and others, it could be a really good thing to use. It delves into spirituality, as well as quantum mechanics and theories, so it's not just a manifesting app for terrible or selfish things. It could be a great learning tool. The only thing I have left to say is if you are genuinely interested in it and want to learn more about it, and use it correctly, then go right ahead and do so. Otherwise, just leave it alone, because if you don't know what you're doing with it, it destroys the real purpose it was made for. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. The Figure in the Cove by Celtic Kin. In Ireland, you're never far from the sea. I'm very used to my proximity to the water in a way that I imagine many of you aren't, due simply to geography. I was born on the north coast of Ireland, technically in Northern Ireland, near Ballycastle, a small town up there. Like most coastal towns, our part of the world comes alive in the summer with people from all over, but in the winter it's quite barren and isolated. Unlike most people, it was that time of year beginning in the late autumn and running through to the middle of spring that I enjoy the sea the most. There's something quite special about having access to sprawling beaches when most people don't bother to give them a glance. 
Even on dull days, the roar of the sea in all its expanse calms me, particularly at dawn and dusk when the light of the sky makes the water glimmer with a mystery that I can't characterize. My story begins and ends with the sea. Before I really begin, I'd like to give you a brief rundown of Selkie or Silky law. Selkies are a type of being who, legend has it, inhabit the seas around the northern British Isles, although they can be traced as far as Iceland. The sea north of Ireland is inhabited by seals, and it isn't uncommon to see a colony of seals, or perhaps an individual, further out from the towns. I don't know if there exists an animal more charming than a seal, with its lively bark and its smiling face, so like that of a human. The Selkie takes the form of a seal, but is really a being with the ability to remove its coat and take on a human-like form. Traditionally, tales speak of Selkies appearing as beautiful women, but if you delve deep into folklore, Selkies appear in all kinds of human forms. Legend has it, they appear in groups on moonlit beaches at certain times during the year, far from human eyes. Here, they will remove their seal coats and take on their human bodies dancing with jubilance to music under the light of the moon before eventually returning to the sea. It sounds like a very innocent myth, but there is a darker side to the Selkie. Ireland isn't a large country, and so, relatively speaking, you can never be too far away from humanity and civilization. If misfortune strikes and a human catches sight of a group of Selkies, they will dart into their coats and make their way back to the sea without hesitation. If, however, the human tries to take hold of one of the coats, their skin, then the Selkie is bound to him. The Selkie cannot return home without this. Consequently, stories tell of men taking Selkies as wives, keeping the sealskin hidden away. The Selkie will never stop longing for its home and family, but will be trapped in the home of their captor for the remainder of their lives unless they are able to recapture their lost coat. Most would never succeed in doing so. Like most myths, I would have always taken Selkies with a pinch of salt. That is, until I was 17, and I had my own experience that really is unexplainable, unless we place some credence on Selkie law. As I say, I was born by the coast, just outside of town. Teenage life can be challenging for anyone, but for me, this was amplified by being a queer person in a very small community. It wasn't easy, but I found some solace in nature, which, as I said, provided me with headspace at a time when I needed it more than anything. Ironically, the best tonic for my sense of isolation was isolation. A self-built isolation on those evenings when I could walk the ten minutes to the beach and enjoy the setting sun, which made the waters glisten with hope and that unexplainable sense of mystery. I spent hours down there, particularly on those cold days when contact with other people would be minimal. Mostly, there wouldn't be much to say about these evenings. I would walk and walk and walk, and eventually begin to switch off. Not terribly exciting, but steady and constant. There was one evening, however, when my path took a different turn. There was a section of the beach that was somewhat shrouded by dunes and rock, a quiet cove a few miles from the side of the beach that I had started. We were deep in spring at this point. 
I know this because I could have never made it this far along the sand in the winter months when daylight was minimal. I was trying to maximize my time here before the tourist season began, and the area would begin to fill out with people from all over. On the beach, I was stricken by the sight of what looked like a young man. The light was beginning to dim, and the sea had a purpley hue. He was strewn out on the sand, his form slender and somehow gentle. It would have been somewhat unusual to see someone this far out along the beach at this time of year, but not altogether shocking. What was shocking was that he was entirely naked, with not a single item of clothing in sight, either on his body or on the sand. I'll inform you now that although winter had ended, an Irish spring is hardly warm. It isn't rare for snow to fall as late as March and April, and the wind, particularly by the sea, is biting and at times relentless. You can understand my shock, then, upon seeing the naked figure on the beach that day. What made it more bewildering was that his body appeared to glimmer. It was as though he was formed from a matter related to the sea before us, which gleamed much in the same way. His pale skin imitated its hue, moving softly with the sun to create something that transfixed me. Ordinarily, I'd have been deeply embarrassed by anything related to nudity. I was an awkward 17-year-old from rural Ireland, but this was different. In the same way that the sea at this time of day called me and soothed me, it was as though he had inspired the same effect, though somehow magnified. I lost track of time I spent in that spot. I'm embarrassed to write now that I stood staring at what I thought was a naked man for any amount of time, but I can only be honest. And then it was over. He opened his eyes suddenly and appeared to become stiff in a way that contrasted with his until then relaxed form. I saw him turn his eyes to me, which widened in shock. These eyes, I remember, were striking even from a slight distance. They were grey, but startlingly so, almost sinking into the whiteness that surrounded them like watercolour, and piercing despite the lack of hue. His entire form was one pale, glistening shape that melted together and appeared translucent in the dimming light. He quickly and soundlessly rose to his feet and moved with a sharp fluidity to the rocks behind him. Still frozen, I watched as he emerged from the rocks carrying what looked like a silvery piece of cloth, which matched his own body. I say cloth, but it did not move in the wind, which was blowing in from the sea. It seemed solid and heavy, but he carried it effortlessly to the sea at a fast pace, I staring intently at me the entire time. When he reached the sea, he stepped into the water with the coat and buried himself in the waves. And then, he was gone. At this, I shook myself back to life and moved towards the shore itself. As much as I tried, I could not make out his form anywhere. He had vanished into the roaring water soundlessly and without any physical trace. I was bemused, but exhilarated. I remained there for about ten minutes more before making my way home, the images of the evening etched into my mind for the duration of the walk, which was guided by the light of the now fully risen moon. My parents were frustrated when I reached my house, upset that I had been out for much longer than they had expected, but their words seemed to drift over my head. I was quiet as a teenager, 
and I imagined it wasn't surprising to them that I didn't have much to say, no matter their frustration. I didn't speak to anyone at the time about what I'd encountered on that evening. Being a bit of an outcast already, I hardly wanted to appear even odder. And it would have been a few years before I really found a group of friends whom I could mull these thoughts over with. I did, however, spend the next weeks burying myself in online literature about anything that might be connected to the image of the figure on the beach. I came across Selkie stories and immersed myself in Selkie lore. Although it didn't entirely match with what I had seen, it was the only mythos I could find that was somewhat similar. I returned to that part of the beach many times, especially in summer when daylight was much more generous. It saddened me then that I never came across the being that I had seen that night. On one occasion, however, I'd resigned myself to walking back home when I heard a bark coming from the shore. I was delighted to see three silvery seals in the water, a few meters out, into the sea. They moved playfully, their voices filling the air. It struck me that one, a little smaller than the other two, was looking at me watchfully, its small eyes very intent. The light of the setting sun hit its body, which sparkled with its rays, and I smiled back, waving slightly. I don't know if this was the being I had seen that evening some months before. It may have been, or it may have just been an ordinary, albeit beautiful seal. What I do know is that I didn't want to disturb him or frighten him, so after waving, I began my walk home. I pray that whoever or whatever he was, he knows now that I meant him no harm when I encountered him enjoying the evening light on the cove. Rather, I would love to be able to communicate to him how much seeing him meant to me, and how much peace it brought to my mind seeing one other creature enjoying the glory and beauty of nature on a spring evening in Ireland. Carnivorous Trees and Portals in Trees By Gojo Six Eyes In my culture, it is believed that trees were simply portals and hosts to supernatural beings and phenomena. As I grew older, I've heard stories about travelers who knew the signs to look for when searching for trees that have given up its will or succumbed to an entity. And depending on these signs, they either avoided the tree or sat resting on the trunk in hopes that the entity in the tree will allow them to seek cover for the night before they continued their travels. So because of this, people were warned never to make promises, curses, or statements anywhere near trees, because it is believed that the tree serves as a witness to our declarations and contain the energy to manifest anything said within its vicinity. My grandmother shared a personal experience with me years ago that I only recalled hours ago when I had to step out of the way of a bike, which led to me standing with my back very close to a tree. I got instant goosebumps when recalling that memory so close to a tree. The story unfolded when my grandmother was still in secondary school in an all-girls boarding school. And for the sake of distinguishing between my grandmother's and my mother's story, I was to give them subtitles relating to the incident starting with my grandmother's experience. This is called Entities Walking Out of a Tree Holding Lanterns. I know, very on the nose. 
This event took place within the premises of my grandmother's boarding school. It was during exam week, and every room was lit with lanterns, and students got their late-night reading on in preparation for the exams the next day. My grandmother was on the balcony of the third floor of the hostel, when a cluster of banana trees in front of the hostel compound seemed to smoke from the top of the branches. At first, it seemed as if the smoke was probably coming from outside of the fence of the hostel, because there was a garbage pit where the school burned garbage in front of it. But there was no sign of the orange glow of the fire, and the smoke definitely looks to be coming from inside of the banana trees, which was very odd, because there were no fire embers within the trees whatsoever. So that was quite unsettling. And as she began to contemplate notifying the hall officer about a possible fire outbreak, she saw figures in a straight line walk out of the trees, each holding a lit lantern very much like the one students use for late-night readings. The figures were very dark in color, but had stark white polka dots all over their bodies. They all just kept filing out, making absolutely no sounds walking across the compound, seemingly unseen by the students on the ground floor who had their lanterns on and faces buried in their books. My grandmother was absolutely terrified that no one seemed to notice this long file of people walking across the compound. It was simply impossible that no one budged or acknowledged their presence. So she immediately blew her lantern out and quietly, without turning her back, walked back into the room. Her roommates looked at her strange and asked her why she was walking into the room backwards. What happened to her lantern? But she simply placed her lantern on the table and crawled into bed, but stayed awake, wondering why she seemed to be the only one to see those things. She never told anyone anything until the moment she told it to me, with a very serious warning to avoid banana trees at all costs. This next one is my mother's story. Carnivorous Tree. This second story belongs to my mother, coincidentally while she was also in boarding school. A couple of years before my mother even enrolled in that particular secondary school, multiple people had gone missing, but no one could possibly ever connect it to the seemingly regular huge tree planted on school grounds for cool shade from the scorching sun. Usually, all the searchers for the missing persons, students, staff, non-staff alike, turned up empty, with no trace or explanations. Until my mother witnessed something truly horrifying from the balcony of a friend's house, located exactly opposite of the school. Her friend was a day student for obvious reasons, and my mother was hanging out at her place before she had to go back to her hostel when she saw it happen. She was on the balcony of her friend's house having a nice lunch. She was alone on the balcony at the time, and she could very clearly see into the school compound watching students play around or just sitting. She said she had a couple of loud conversations from her friend's balcony with students who were still in school, because it was a Friday and so students were allowed to be extra rowdy. Now, the day being Friday is actually very significant because it was Jimmo which meant that the mosques will be filled with Muslims. Every Friday, Muslims head to the mosques in their finest wares to offer prayers, and students were let out of school early so that the Muslim students could go home and prepare for Jummah. Eventually, the school grounds got empty real fast, 
as everyone rushed home or to the mosque, and only very few people were left loitering the grounds when she saw it. A student sitting under the huge tree where people typically sat under during break period, with his back resting on it, a book in hand. But that wasn't the mind-numbing thing about the image. The horrifying thing was that the tree the student had his back on began to open up like a gaping dark hole slightly above the student's head, and she swore it looked like a mouth was opening. And she screamed so loudly that the student turned his head towards the building she was in, along with some people still in the school grounds. The turning of the student made his body slightly distant from the tree, and a very loud snap was heard from the tree, making the boy and everyone jump back, looking at it, barely catching the image of the tree literally snapping a gaping hole in its trunk shut. There was a moment of absolute silence before chaos ensued, and the student leapt away far from the tree, with the members of staff and students alike backing far away from it. My mother watched as some people ran from the school compound towards the mosque and back with some Islamic clerics towards the tree. She proceeded to describe hours of bone-chilling events. First, the clerics asked for the tree to be chopped, which no one wanted to do. So they began to recite Quranic verses, which gave a few men courage to hack away at the tree, and everyone watched in morbid fascination as thick red sap-like substance seeped out of the tree, and the more they hacked away, the more the red substance seeped out. It took hours to hack this tree in half, and that's when they started to see clothing items, school uniforms, belts, shoes, pieces of paper, etc., it was absolutely unbelievable what they were witnessing, and people started to murmur about the missing people whose trace could never be found. The clerics never broke their recitations the entire time, as the tree was rendered back and its roots were pulled out, covered in the red substance. My mother and her friend, who eventually joined her at the balcony, watched as the clerics, whose numbers had tripled once the event spread in the street, spent hours long into the evening cleansing the spot where the tree had once stood, people trying to recover the items found, in hopes of identifying who they belonged to, whilst the student who was sitting under the tree earlier was engulfed by even more clerics reciting Quranic verses to rid him of any negative energy. It was later said that a goblin known as Ibora lived in that tree and consumed unsuspecting people. The spot where the tree once stood was covered in cement and became flat ground, but everyone avoided getting near it regardless. Till date, I have a deep fear of trees, and something about them always seems to terrify, and I make a conscious effort to never get too close to one. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. Forest Devil by Claustrophobic Astronaut 
What I'm about to say didn't happen to me, but to a guy I was close with back when I was still in the army. So when I get to the point in the story, I'll write from his perspective as best as I can. It's been almost seven years since then, and I still think about what he told me that night. I won't give too much information about my platoon since I don't want to draw unwanted attention, and because quite frankly, it's not that important anyway. Since my country is filled with hills and mountains everywhere you look, we occasionally had exercises in the mountains to improve our awareness, land nerf, and survival skills among other things. And so, one night in August, we were transported to a hilly area in the middle of nowhere to start our training. The hills weren't particularly dangerous or steep, but the whole area was filled with small thick pine forests scattered everywhere you looked with long patches of tall grass and bushes connecting them. This time, for our exercise, we were supposed to find our way from the base camp where we arrived, through the hills collecting markers set up for us in advance, and make our way back to the camp in the given time. We were separated into small groups, and soon after the briefing ended, the training began. I was in a group with two other soldiers, and we began to make our way through the forest and the hills. The exercise was nothing special, to be honest. We did get lost for a good ten minutes or so near the halfway point, but other than that, nothing worth mentioning happened. At least to us. After about two hours of slowly trekking through the hills and collecting our markers, we made it back to the camp. We weren't the first group that arrived, but we also weren't the last, so we had nothing to worry about. I hung around with the guys I was friends with, and chatted whilst waiting for everyone else to finish the exercise. After an hour of waiting, the last group finally came back. Only, instead of three people that were in a group, only two arrived. After getting berated for a bit by our superior, they said that they were goofing off and having a competition between themselves to see who would make it to the camp first. The soldier that was missing was the fastest of the three, so he quickly hurried on ahead collecting the markers. Since they didn't see him anywhere, they concluded that he already came back to camp and was waiting for them to arrive. Incredibly stupid, I know, but my country wasn't a part of any war for a long time, and combining that with not-so-strict regulations and personnel, at least compared to what I've seen on the internet, and you get a bunch of laid-back dudes who don't take their job or training seriously. Thankfully for everyone there, the last guy arrived 15 minutes later, out of breath, with rips and tears on his uniform that were covered in mud. But at least he got back in one piece. Our superior asked him what happened, but he just kept repeating that he got lost. It's not too hard to believe, since it wouldn't have been the first time someone got lost in these exercises. But something felt off. His face looked like he lived through a war and his eyes were glistening like he was holding back tears. He's a massive guy, well over six feet, and the toughest person I know, so seeing him like this told me something must have been out there. The commander didn't seem to care, though. After scolding him and his group a little bit more, the superior left him alone, and we were ready to get back. Once the dust settled, I went to look for him, because I wanted to ask him what really happened out there. I found him sitting alone on a tree stump, just looking down at the ground. I walked up to him, and asked him if he's alright, if he needed something, 
you know, the basic stuff, because I was trying to get him to talk. After a couple of yeses and noes, I asked him what actually happened. He looked at me, with an expression I can't describe, and then looked down in silence. After a few moments, he told me that I should just forget it, and it's not anything serious. I, of course, kept pestering him about it, and he finally answered with an annoyed, Fine, but don't tell anyone else. They'll probably think I'm either insane or a really bad liar. Intrigued, I said I wouldn't tell anyone. He looked at me again, before tightly clasping his hands in front of him and looking at the ground again. It looked like he was struggling to even begin. A few moments of silence later, he said something that completely caught me off guard. I saw the devil, he said quickly, before pressing his lips together so tightly it looked like they would disappear. I wanted to laugh or say something, but seeing the expression change like that, and his eyes watering again, I couldn't do anything but stare at him in silence and listen. This is the part where I'll write from his perspective. I'll stay true to what he said and won't add extra details. I will only be writing what he told me. When the training started, me and the other two went to the direction where our first marker was located. We got in about ten minutes and then made our way to the next one, and then the next. We quickly all got bored, so we decided to play a game. We'll split up and get the remaining markers like that. Whoever makes it to the base first, with the most markers, wins. The losers have to pay for a round when we get back. So I looked at the map, and with a little bit of effort I got to a marker. I picked it up and continued northwest, where the next marker was supposed to be. Surprisingly, it wasn't somewhere in the forest like every other one, but instead it was in one of those patches of tall grass and bushes that were between the forest. Now the grass was big, but it only reached around the chest height, so I could still see everything around me. I was really surprised as to how the other two didn't already take it by now, but I wasn't complaining. I picked it up and looked at my map again. Whilst I was looking around at the map, thinking about where to go next, I started hearing something not too far off from where I was standing. It sounded like someone was moving through the grass. I stopped, looking at the map and raised my head to look around, thinking it was probably another soldier, maybe even someone from my group. But I didn't see anyone. The sound also stopped, so the only thing I heard was the crickets around me. I got an uneasy feeling in my gut when I chalked it up to a small critter running around looking for food. I pulled out my map again and started walking through the grass next to the marker. After about fifty feet of walking, I heard it again. It was coming from my left side, where the forest was starting. I turned to look again, and again I didn't see anything. I was standing there in silence, not moving a muscle for about a minute or two, waiting to hear the sound again. But I couldn't hear anything. It felt like whomever or whatever it was stopped moving at the same time I noticed its presence. I was getting a little worried at this point, but I still believed that whatever was making that noise wasn't anything dangerous 
or I should be worried about. So I quickly turned my attention to get to the next marker. After another 60 or 70 feet, I was almost at the edge of the grass and I could see a little bit into the forest. And then I heard it again, louder this time, like it was real close. I stopped dead in my tracks and lowered myself a bit, to not be so visible, but where I could still look around just fine. A minute later, I heard it again. But I could also see the grass parting ways and disappearing from my view, like someone was walking through it. I grabbed my pistol that was on my waist, ready to shoot if anything dangerous came from the grass. It seemed like it was moving towards the forest, close to where I was. But even if it was close, it was moving about 15 feet next to me, so I wasn't too worried of coming in contact with whatever it was. Still, I ducked down, waiting for it to pass. And sure enough, the thing got closer and closer and closer, and then moved right past me into the forest. I still couldn't see exactly what the thing was, but it seemed weird. It didn't sound like footsteps anymore, and I didn't hear it breathing at all. Then it got out of the grass. I still couldn't see it though, because I was still hiding in the tall grass. It was obscuring my vision. I couldn't see it until it rose up. I watched in horror as the silhouette grew taller and taller until it reached the branches of a nearby tree. It was... I don't know what it was. The only thing I know is that it was pure evil. It did something to me. I felt my entire body lose strength and I fell to the ground. As my body hit the floor, I could see the thing turn to me. It was grabbing a nearby branch with one arm, which looked so wrong on so many levels. It looked like it was twice the length of mine, and it was covered in fur. The body looked even worse. Instead of normal torso and legs, I could only see a thick, long, snake-like body covered in scales that reflected the small bits of moonlight that were shining on it. I didn't see its head or face, and something tells me that I should be thankful I didn't. When I saw that abomination, I got up and started running through the grass and brush back to the camp. I didn't hear it behind me as I was running, but I didn't care. I ran through the forest, praying to every deity I knew the name of to save me to get back to camp. After he told the story, I couldn't bring myself to say anything. I didn't know what to believe. I didn't know if he was lying or telling the truth. If he was lying, then what would be the point in that? And if he wasn't lying, well, I didn't want to think about that. He was sitting there, motionless, still staring at the floor. In the end, I managed to come up with a few cliché lines. Lines of encouragement. But we both knew that they weren't helpful. I was good friends with him, and we still occasionally find time to get a drink or two here and there. This story came up in our conversations a few times, and every time he swore he was telling the truth. I still don't know what to believe. He's my friend, and I've known him for almost a decade at this point. And he'd never lied once. 
So, if what he said was really true, then I don't want to think about whatever else lives in the wild. Experiences of a Wildlife Warden by Bravo Whiskey Tango In my first post, Watchers, I mentioned that I've had no paranormal or otherwise unexplainable experiences up until that point as a wildlife warden in the most northern region of the Appalachian Mountain Range. I've had some straight-up scary experiences at night in the backcountry, but largely dismissed the vast majority of these as having some explanation, even if I didn't have one. I thought I'd go ahead and share a few of these somewhat dismissed experiences with you all. Experience 1. This day I'd been working fairly far back down a resource road, maybe 30 kilometers. It was a Friday, so I planned on just staying the weekend where I was in this old cutover near a river. I was staying in the back of my SUV, which I had pimped out pretty well at that point as a makeshift camper. I'm unsure of the time, but but I woke up in the pitch dark to my SUV violently shaking, my things flying all over the place. In my half-asleep state, I just thought, damn, that's some strong wind, and laid back down. It wasn't until I heard something heavy climb onto my roof that I jolted up and hit the alarm on my key fob. When my lights and alarm kicked on, the SUV shook one more time as something jumped off my roof. I then heard a scramble of several sets of heavy feet all around me run off into the forest. As much as you'd think I'd be out of there in that moment, I literally listened for a few minutes before going back right to sleep, with my windows all the way up this time. The next morning I found scratches all along my back doors, where I'd been fast asleep on the other side. The window, which I had cracked open a few inches, also had scratches right at the top, as if something were trying to figure out how to get in. I did not find any clear footprints, as there was a drought at the time. I never heard anything after that, though. I, of course, moved my campsite that day. Experience 2 This experience happened while on a shakeout near a salmon river. We had some reports come in on large amounts of fish scales being found along the shore, and it was suspected some people may be poaching this pool during the night. We'd been dropped off earlier that day. I had positioned myself in the alders along the unmarked trail to the area, while my two co-workers were positioned along the pool itself. The night went by quietly. I had just laid back, watching the black sky turn a dark blue, and just listening to the nightlife. Out of absolutely nowhere, I heard and felt the ground underneath me, this loud thump, 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 as something sprinted like a bat out of hell towards and right past me, breaking branches and grunting as it went. This thing was so fast, by the time I had sat up, it was long past me. All that was left behind was an awful musk. I texted my co-workers along the river to give them a heads up assuming a bull moose was charging towards where they were set up. A few minutes later, I got a reply that nothing had come down the trail. In fact, they never even heard it, which I still can't believe. All they noticed was a horrible smell into the area, like something rotten. A few fart jokes later, we're all back to silence. Just as sunrise hit, they hiked up and met me on a trail an hour earlier than originally agreed upon, they told me they just felt like something was off down there, and didn't want to stick around any longer. 
One of them left some equipment behind, but refused to go back for it, choosing to get it another day. We looked for prints on the way back out, attempting to identify what charged down the path, but never did find any. I'd think I'd made it all up in my head, if it weren't for the shared scent experience. Thanks for taking the time to join us for a few true tales. I do ever so hope you enjoyed them. If you have a story of your own to share, send it to me at eeriecast.com forward slash outdoor, where we pay you three cents per word. And stop by eeriecast.com if you want to hear more scary stories from our team. If you want to hear more from me, myself, you can find me on youtube.com forward slash nature's temper. If you've enjoyed what you heard tonight, leave Alone in the Woods a rating and review on Spotify and Apple. Thank you. And we'll see you next time the moon is high and the pines whisper.